I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, play a song for me. I'm not sleepy and there is no place I'm going to. Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, play a song for me. In the jingle jangle morning, I'll come following you. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fine Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining me to talk about one of Bob Dylan's most enduring classics, Mr. Tambourine Man from 1965's Bringing It All Back Home, is fellow Bobcat, Melissa Tomzak. Hello, Melissa. Hello, Bob. Rob. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I almost call you Bob. It's all right. It's, it's uh, yeah. It's it's no problem. It's it's all right, Ma. So <laughs> I, I we we got to give the origin of of how you're you're on the show, Melissa, because <laughs> I fa- I found it very interesting. Is that one day all of a sudden I get a Twitter response from from someone, and I don't know this person, and you're like, I have got to do this show, and I was like, Wow, okay. I like that. You know, I like the the bold take here, and I said, like, Okay. And then I, I don't know if I responded to you immediately. It might have been early in the morning. I was like, I'll, I'll get to it later or something. And then, and then like a couple hours later, I get a second tweet from this person saying, I really have to do the show. This is my second attempt. And I was like, wow, this person really wants to do the show. And so it was you, of course. And I wrote to you and I asked you what songs you wanted to talk about. And you listed three songs. And then you sort of hinted that there was another song that you really wanted to do, but you were afraid to ask for it. And so I was like, yes. what's, yeah, so what's that song? And you said, Mr. Tambourine Man. And I, as I mentioned way back when I did the episode on uh, Desolation Row, and that was the first song that that guest had asked for, I like big swings. I like when someone is bold like that. And so, you know, that, that was, a, it was a big ask, but I appreciated it. Before we talk about Mr. Tambourine Man, Melissa, I have to ask you, how did you become a fan of Bob in the first place? Right. So before I tell you that story, I'll just have to say, this is slightly embarrassing. But the day that I tweeted you, I think it was either the day of or the day after Bob's 80th birthday. Okay. So I was kind of on a Bob Dylan kick as usual. And I was looking for podcasts to listen to. And yours kept coming up in suggestions and um, <laughs> of oh, best Bob Dylan podcasts. And so... I was like, okay, I'll give this a try. I listened to like four episodes in a day. I was like, I would like to be on this. And I don't care if everyone thinks I am a fool and doesn't know what I'm talking about. I don't let that stop me. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I don't know how many listeners this guy has. I don't know how big the cue is to get in this podcast. So I'm going to immediately start a campaign. (laughs) Um, So... I'm glad that it worked. Yeah, I I hate to admit that I was only listening to your podcast for like a day or two when I tweeted you, but I have now listened to like almost every episode. So um, hopefully you'll forgive me. It's no problem. I can, I appreciate that kind of energy. And I will say I have had a similar reaction to other people's shows. Uh, I don't, I haven't invited myself on kind of exactly, (laughs) but, but I have heard as a host, I have heard someone on a show and I've been like, well, I want to get them on my show and I will write them immediately. And right. a lot of times it's worked out. So, so I related to that very much of like, oh, this person obviously was really excited. So I, I, I like to kind of reward that because, again, I, I like the sort of chutzpah of it. So I'm, I'm totally glad that you're here. And, and so, yeah, so let, we, now that we've, now we've established how we, how we did this, how did you become a fan of Bob? Right. So it took me a while, obviously, 
uh, everyone kind of knows who he is just based off of cultural osmosis. But late high school, junior, senior year or something, my dad got me a bunch of Criterion Collection DVDs. If anyone knows what that is, it's just a DVD distribution company. Yes. And he, he gave me a Blu-ray of Don't Look Back because I'm a big film person and he likes Bob a lot. So he gave it to me hoping that I would watch it and want to get into Bob, I guess. And I didn't really watch it for a while. And then my freshman year of college, I had a film class and we were talking about the rise of the rise of observational documentary. And my professor showed a clip of Don't Look Back. And it was actually the Who Threw That Glass clip, <laughs> which was great. And also the opening uh, with Subterranean Homesick Blues. And I was immediately like, wow, this guy is incredible. What's this guy's deal? I don't know how I didn't like, listen to him more before. So I was, immediately went back in that weekend. Um, I knew that I had the DVD. So I watched the documentary. I immediately was hooked. And it's funny because I don't think I appreciated it as much as I could have the first time I watched it because obviously I didn't know his music that well. Um, and at that, at that point or who the people were who were touring with him and everything but uh now i can watch it and fully appreciate it so since then i kind of uh soaked myself in bob dylan's songs don't look back is an interesting place to start because even for dylan fans he's a little hard to take in that movie he's a bit of a dick sometimes <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> he absolutely is yeah and i think that's kind of what made me want to watch it and listen to him um i don't know i I think it's just fun and entertaining because, you know, people talk about sort of the personality that he has in that movie as that has been his personality his entire life, which is kind of um, probably not the case. No, um, I don't think so. But yeah, yeah, I think it's it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch the dynamic of a tour like that with so many people around and with such a big star. So it was, I thought that part was really interesting. Oh, it's a great documentary to be sure. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a great, great film. Uh, have you seen the other documentaries that uh, the No Direction Home or the the Rolling Thunder review ones? Yeah, I've seen Rolling Thunder because I love Martin Scorsese and also because of that kind of surprising. I haven't seen No Direction Home, but I'm trying to find a time to watch that because it, it's like three hours, right? Yeah, it's like um, three and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I don't know why I haven't seen it yet. I just haven't gotten around to it. But I have seen um, I'm Not There, the film by right. Todd Haynes. I right. love that movie. I don't know what the general census is from Bob fans of that movie, but I love it so much. I, okay. Now, now, now we're going down these other roads, but I'm fascinated. Yeah. What, what is it about that movie that you love? Cause I, I'm mixed on that movie at best mm -hmm. as a, as a diehard fan. Even I was like, like, mm, okay. Yeah, what what is it, it that you love about it? I think partly, like I said before, I'm very much a film person more than, a, and than a, uh, music person I don't know that much about music and I, I don't have uh, I don't have a ton of artists that I listen to and understand so um, I was more interested in the filmmaking part of it and what I really like about it is that a lot of the time music biopics sort of fall into the same formula where they're nothing and they've been struggling for a long time and then suddenly they get discovered and they're famous sure and then uh, you know they get into drugs too much and they have a low point and then 
but now they're recovered and everything's great again. And that's kind of what every the triumphant comeback. Yeah, exactly. It's the same formula every time. So I really like that that document, or I keep calling it documentary because I kind of think of it that way. But I really love that that film um, takes the spirit of Bob Dylan and kind of what he's about and translates it into film because it's very, not quite avant-garde, but it's very um, kind of all over the place. And there's a lot of moving parts to it and a lot of references and just really captures the fact that he has so many different personalities and eras that he goes through and I don't know I I love it it's just so interesting to me and I think the performances are great I think Kate Blanchett is just incredible I I will say I sort of wish that Kate Blanchett had just played Bob through the whole movie I loved her I loved her so much as Bob Dylan uh that yeah I I completely agree with that yes it is a very untraditional biopic in in every conceivable way so I could see why I will tell you you will love No Direction Home I mean, I have okay. no, no worries about that at all because it's a great document. Even at that length, um, if you take time to sit and watch it, it is just, it's so fun to watch, you know, modern Bob talk about this stuff and then go back to, it's a really great documentary. And uh, if you like Scorsese, it's Scorsese as well. So uh, you will absolutely enjoy it. So when you said you got into Bob through Don't Look Back, you obviously made the leap from the documentary to the music. What were the, do you remember like what the first albums were that you picked up? Yeah, I actually... Uh, have a very specific memory of this because I went to the music shop that was in the college town that I lived in and I just went to the Bob Dylan section and I picked up whatever was there, whatever cover looked good. And I actually picked up Blonde on Blonde and I had no idea about any of it. So I just chose something. And I remember listening listening to it in the car, driving to work and stuff. And Honestly, this is almost blasphemy, but my first reaction was, maybe I don't get this. <laughs> <laughs> and which is kind of embarrassing to admit, but I listened to it once through and I was like, okay, um, I loved Visions of Johanna as everyone does, I think. And yeah, but my first reaction was sort of mixed. And then I kind of held myself hostage and listened to it another time through and I loved it the second time. And then, and I think that's sort of an interesting place to start too, because um, it was him sort of shifting a little bit. But then I went back and, and listened to uh, his first albums and another side of Bob Dylan, I think was the second album that I listened to. And yeah, from there, I just kind of went back and jumped back and forth in his timeline. And now I will listen to anything. So when you say, uh, I don't think I get this, does that mean I don't like it and I don't understand why everyone likes it? Or I don't get it and that I'm not exactly sure what he's getting at, which is kind of a separate reaction. Right. I think it was more the latter because I wasn't familiar with any of those songs. I don't think I had just kind of heard his most popular things like like a Rolling Stone and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I was I was just sort of, I don't know. I think the music part of it, like the actual instrumentation part, I was a little baffled by. (laughs) I don't know. It it sounded kind of like a cacophony of sound at first to me. (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking because I listen to that now and I'm like, are you stupid? I don't know what, (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking. But um, then, you know, I'm, I'm very much a lyrics person too, which another reason why I love Bob in general. But um, when I started to listen to the lyrics a lot, um, you know, the ghost of electricity howls in the bones of her face. I was like, okay, I'm sold. I got it. <laughs> well, that, that's perfect. So you said you bopped around because of course you not, you never really have a context of what, what albums came first, 
which ones went, went there. As you were getting them and you were hearing how different they sound from album to album, I mean, good Lord, if you went from Blonde on Blonde to Another Side, those are only three records apart, and yet they sound, they're night and day. Mm-hmm. Uh, were, you, were you kind of prepared for that or were you like whoa wait a minute this is not this doesn't sound like that other thing at all yeah no I I wasn't prepared at all I I know some people who will only listen chronologically through an artist's discography or um you know they'll read up on all of the context of all the albums and I very much didn't do that I just bought the albums and listened and um I think that contrast too is what part of what sold me because you know, I listened to Blonde on Blonde and then went to another side. And I, like you said, you can really hear the difference in his sounds and um, his sort of evolution. And I thought that was so fascinating. So then I start, that's when I started to pay attention to the order that the albums came in. Um, I didn't listen to them in order, but I, you know, I have them on my, in my collection now they're in chronological order and I like to sort of look at them in context and stuff. Sure. I mean, once you know where they come then and you're like, Oh, okay, this is what his voice sounds, you know, in the two thousands versus 1966 or whatever. So, okay. All right. Well, that's fascinating. He said, well, good on your dad. For, yeah. For, for doing that. Yeah. I mean, and he, like he figured out a way to get you involved through something you already liked, which were documentaries, which is really smart because it's <laughs> like, she already likes documentaries. So I'll give her a documentary, but about something that I like, that's like a great Venn diagram right there. You're like, oh, you like documentaries like Bob Dylan? Bang. Don't look back right in the center there. So, yeah, good on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Great. Yeah. Um, have you seen him live? I haven't, regrettably. And, again, another situation where I don't know what the hell I was thinking. <laughs> because I sort of was thinking before COVID. I thought, you know, I've heard so much about he's not good live. My dad says that I think he's seen him once or twice. And he said both times he wasn't good. Um, and then another, my, one of my friend's fathers said the same thing. And I was like, man, do I, do I want to see him live? And um, so I sort of, I sort of decided that maybe I'll hold off a little bit on seeing him live. You know, tickets are expensive. That makes mm-hmm. me kind of nervous. And then during COVID and when he turned 80 and stuff, I'm like, what? what the hell am I doing? Of course I have to go see him live. So I'm really happy. You know, the other day they announced uh, that he's touring now. Yeah. Yeah. I immediately was looking at where I could go. I called my dad today and I was like, um, let's go to a Bob Dylan concert, please, please. (laughs) Oh, that's sweet. (laughs) Is is he up for it or is he still like, "Eh, I don't, I don't know. He sort of, yeah, he sort of had a, uh, I don't know, reaction. He was like, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, but I, I was trying to tell him, I was like, you know, no, I've heard that right before COVID happened, people were saying that he sounded great and stuff. So hopefully he'll go. <laughs> well, I hope you get to see him because as we have said on you know many episodes, like it can be a bit of a, a, an uphill climb if you don't know, you know, he doesn't make it easy for the audience. You have to kind of, you know, like, oh, wait, this song, what song is this? And then you go two lines in and we're like, oh, he's singing Tombstone Blues now. Great. All right. Now I understand. It doesn't sound anything like what I expect. But I still think you'll appreciate uh, having become a recent convert. You'll appreciate just there is, of course, the electricity of having the guy on the stage, you know, I mean, like there's the guy that's, this is, he's no longer the guy on the album cover. He's a, the living, breathing guy standing there at that keyboard. And, and yeah, I did see him just before COVID hit and he was delivering. I've seen him 25 times or whatever at this point. The, the one I saw in November was one of the best ones I've ever been to. 
he was clearly so i really hope that you get the chance uh to go I see him so and uh and and we'll this will play in this will come into play at the, at the end of the show of course with the question i'm going to ask you but we'll talk about that in a little bit so all right so mr tambourine man as everyone knows this is the song that leads off side two of 1965's bringing it all back home it's the all acoustic side um, this was a song that he had uh, Bob had written in 1964 around the time that he was writing the songs for Another Side of Bob Dylan, and he actually attempted it at the Another Side sessions, but he was uh, he had an accompaniment with him, and he ultimately didn't like it. And he had even said upon at one point he felt too close to the song to put it on. I don't exactly know what that means exactly, but uh, but but he left it off, and then. He then tried it again for bringing it all back home, and it was attempted a bunch of times. And there are some takes have Bobby Gregg on the drums, and he decided he didn't like that. And then we ultimately just went with the sort of stripped down version that he recorded here. And it took again, it took a bunch of takes, but nevertheless, uh, he got it relatively quickly once he was able to really sort of focus on it. So, why this song, uh, Melissa? Why this song more than any other? Did you want to talk? Well, I really love Think a little bit because. It's such a beautiful song. It's one of my favorites. I think it's a lot of people's, one of a lot of people's favorites, but it's very much a lullaby to me. And I know it's not a slow song, but the lyrics just make me feel very peaceful for some reason. I think the rhymes that he has going on and um, the chorus, because he doesn't always do a chorus in his songs. Um, I think the repetition of his, the chorus and the length of the verses and everything. It's very hypnotic to me. I, it feels very, you know, I mean, obviously he's talking about sleeping and the oniric and stuff. And I think um, that really comes across in the melody. And I don't know. I just, I just love it so much. I think it's such a beautiful song. So. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the chorus because of course this song starts with a chorus, which is relatively unusual uh, in pop songwriting. Definitely unusual for Bob Dylan. Um, I have to think that uh, around the time uh, he was quoted as as saying that he loved the Beatles when there was this kind of division of like, well, are the Beatles just kind of like empty pop music? And he was like, no, 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 I love what they're doing. And he talked about some of the, he felt that some of the uh, song forms that they were trying, uh, he thought was really innovative. And like their song, She Loves You, opens with the chorus which was not something you typically heard. And I'm not saying that, you know, Bob heard that and then just transposed it to this. But nevertheless, this song is unique. And as you, you're right, his songs don't always have choruses. But leading, opening the song with a chorus is even more unusual. I think you could probably count on, the, on you know, two hands a number of songs out of 500 that he opens right. with a chorus. Um, after I, I quoted the initial uh, opening verse and then the, the song goes into the second verse and he says, though I know that evening's empire has returned into sand, vanished from my hand, left me blindly here to stand, but still not sleeping. My weariness amazes me. I'm branded on my feet. I have no one to meet and the ancient empty streets too dead for dreaming. And then he goes back to the course. And um, I agree. It does have this wonderful kind of lilting quality to it. Part of it is, I think it's the number of rhymes that he's putting in. I mean, you've got like evening's empire has returned into sand Vanished from my hand, lifted blindly here to stand, and then sleeping, and then he rhymes that rhymes that a couple of lines later with dreaming. So you've got these sort of like rhymes piling on top of each other, and the way the the way that uh, that he's playing it, and the way he's singing it, he's kind of very the other songs the other songs on this side on this side of the record. It's all right, ma. 
and Gates of Eden and It's All Over Now Baby Blue are masterpieces, but they're kind of nasty. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They're all angry, nasty songs for one uh, aimed in one direction or the other. But Mr. Tambourine Man is a very, to me, generous and pretty song. And it sort of, to me, it stands out on that side of the record that it is such a, you, you can almost imagine this as like a children's song in the best possible way, because as you say, it is very peaceful and lilting and it is kind of soothing in its own way. Yeah, I agree. I think that's interesting to compare it to, you know, the, the songs on the, on that side are, you know, they're about other people. They're, um, you know, like you said, kind of nasty, hmm. but yeah, this is one where I feel like I could listen to it at night about to go to sleep and it would just like put me in a nice, you know, friendly mood just to peacefully go to sleep. Um, it's, yeah, I, I think, like you said, It's All Over Now, Baby Blue is really beautiful and, and I like listening to it. I think it's it's pretty, but um, the lyrics itself are sort of yeah. uh, separate from that, obviously. But yeah, I, I think it's sort of, mentioning the Beatles, uh, this might come in more later, but um, it sort of reminds me of the same camp as I get by with a little help from my friends of people sort of relating it to drugs and stuff. And I can sort of see that with some of the lyrics and everything. But um, to me, it's more interesting to, you know, uh, put it in, uh, well, I don't know, um, put it in the context of that, like, more metaphorical uh, dreaming state than it is to relate it to something else. I don't know. Um, if that makes any sense. But. No, totally, totally. I mean, I think a lot of people always like to associate, you know, anytime somebody does something that's not, you know, like you can literally understand it. It's like, oh, it's drugs. It's not, right. And it wasn't all drugs. I mean, come on, you know, I mean, would, uh, yes, we know that all these musicians were doing a lot of drugs, but would you be able to produce all this kind of stuff? Everything was about drugs all the time. And that's just kind of very reductive way of looking at it. Um, yeah, well, yeah, of course, you know, he does have the line about the smoke rings of my mind, which of course people are, oh, smoke rings. Okay, I know what that <laughs> means, hardy, har har. But to me, I don't know, even when I was a kid and I was aware of the song long before I'd ever was a fan of Bob Dylan because of course it was so famously covered and we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, but to me, I, I think the first time I ever heard it, I was like, well, this is clearly about somebody's muse. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah, I don't think he's being, being that crafty about it, really. I mean, and having since become a fan of Bob, he's been writing songs to his muse his whole life. I mean, good Lord, Rough and Rowdy Ways has Mother of Muses on it. Yeah, he's still yeah. singing songs to muses. So, and, and if you're someone who uh, is, is that songwriting and song performing is your preeminent art form, of course, you're going to have that relationship with the muse to where the muse is almost a physical being. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you want to relate to them like that. And so this is this, I've always taken it as this is someone and, uh, you know, you could say maybe, the, you know, they're waking, they're waking up first thing in the morning or they're trying to go to sleep. They're heading into that dream state, as you talked about. But it's, it's someone who is looking for inspiration and they are looking to the muse, the, in this case, the Mr. Tambourine Man, for inspiration. And they're asking, they're saying to this person, take me with you. I mean, he says, take me on your magic swirling ship. Um, it's sort of funny. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the the film Yellow Submarine, the Beatles Yellow Submarine movie. Um, I haven't, unfortunately. Uh, it's, it's animated, and it's all hippy-dippy, crazy, phantasmagorical stuff where things turn into other things and trees turn into heads and all. And to me, this is, has that same energy of where 
things are just sort of morphing into one another and none of it makes any literal sense, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to because it's, uh, it's got almost like a, uh, there's an, there was an old timey comic strip in the early 1900s, Little Nemo in Slumberland, where the character <laughs> would constantly would go to sleep and then have these crazy adventures in the dream state. And then at the end of the strip, they would wake up. And the whole strip was just whatever their adventure was in the dream state. And that, to me, that's what this is. It's just, it's someone going on this trip and maybe waking up on the other side of it, having found the inspiration given to them by Mr. Tambourine Man. So I'm curious, do you play music at all? Is that anything in your life? I don't. I wish that I did. And I sometimes try, but I don't. I have very little musical ability. (laughs) Okay. Do you, uh, do you have like a creative outlet? Is there, there's some sort of creative thing that you like to do? Yeah. Like in, in college I did, I did, and I guess I still do filmmaking stuff and I like to draw sometimes that kind of thing. I mean, anybody who does anything creative needs a muse, you know, mm-hmm. on some level, it may not be a, it may not be as sort of literalism as a sort of you know, making it a person, a Mr. Tambourine, but you're still looking for that inspiration. You know, you're still looking for that kind of thing. I mean, I mean, I, I still draw occasionally. I was a professional artist for 10 years and I haven't done it in, in that in a long time. But there were moments where I was trying to create something and I just sort of sat in my chair and stared out the window and I was looking for my inspiration. You know, whatever, what, what, what do I want to draw? What do I want to do? And, you know, you said you draw or you're into doing filmmaking. That's, you need inspirations, you know? I mean, so that's how it works. Yeah, yeah I, I think... Yeah, and I think you're right about that, that the song, like you said, sort of sitting and just staring into space and trying to bring something to yourself or, or get something to come to you to um, have that creativity. It kind of reminds me, now that you're saying that, it reminds me of sort of being the other side of Lay Down Your Weary Tune, mm-hmm. almost like, I don't know, to me, Lay Down Your Weary Tune is almost the muse or like the spirit of a muse speaking to an artist. And yeah, this, the, this song sort of reminds me of the other side of that, of just like being able to uh, relax, to wait for something to come to you or to um, be willing to follow something anywhere, no matter where it takes you, you know, even if it's down a uh, sort of strange and winding path. Um, so I think, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, I love Lay Down Your Weary Tune. And I, it's, you know, I, it's another one of his songs that I'm like, why did he leave that off the album? That's a great song. So I wonder what it is about Mr. Tambourine Man that struck him as the thing to put on the record as opposed to Lay Down Your Weary Tune. Of course, that was recorded for a previous album and wasn't uh, for bringing it all back home. But obviously, he found something more uh, powerful about Mr. Tambourine Man than he did about Lay Down Your Weary Tune because, like I said, he basically just forgot that song. And this song, obviously not forgotten. Again, for a number of reasons, we'll talk about it in a moment. So after again, after the, the chorus, um, he says, Take me on a trip upon your magic swirling ship. My senses have been stripped. My hands can't feel to grip. My toes too numb to step. Wait only for my boot heels to be wandering. I'm ready to go anywhere. I'm ready for to fade into my own parade. Cast your dance and spell my way. I promise to go. Uh, here it says, it's funny, on BobDone.com it says, I promise to go under it which mm-hmm. I don't think that's what he sings on bringing it all back home. I think he sings, sings something different. Um, the line about boot heels to be wandering makes me laugh when I see it because there was a story that I'd heard from, I think it was George Raseel who played in Bob's band for many years. And he told the story, again, if it's not 
this is the wrong member of the band. I apologize, but I think it was him. And he told the story about that at a certain point, he wanted to stop going on tour. He just got tired of it. And so he goes to Bob and says, Bob, I got to leave. And Bob's like, no, you can't leave. I'll give you more money. And, and, you know, this guy was like, all right, all right, I'll, I'll, all right, I'll stick it out. And then he sticks around for like another two months of, you know, grueling touring. And he goes to Bob again. And Bob says, no, 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 you can't leave. I'll give you more money. All right, all right, all right, all right. And then he finally gets to Bob like the fourth time says, Bob, I really am burnt out. I got to go. And he, and Bob again is like, oh no, you can't leave. And then George Rosselli apparently said, Bob, my boot heels to be wandering. And Bob's like, all right, okay, you can go. <laughs> so there was something about him pulling out the lyric of Mr. Tambourine Man to Bob's face that Bob finally was like, all right, okay, you can get out of here. He's a, he, he means business. He, no amount of money is yeah. going to solve it. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, touring with Bob's a grueling schedule. You know, you're, you're never away. You're away from, from home all the time. So, but I mean, in that, that verse I just quoted, again, it has those wonderful rhyme schemes where you've got trip, ship, stripped, grip, step all on top of each other all like you know you're trying to almost catch up with the the rhymes as they're going and in terms of his vocal performance i love when he says the line i'm ready to go anywhere and he makes the word anywhere have like 17 syllables in it like he stretches it out i'm ready to go anywhere like again i apologize everybody when i try and approximate bob singing but i love that it feels very open and warm-hearted the way he sings that. And that's my favorite part of the song is when he just kind of, he doesn't say anywhere like a normal person would. He stretches it out. And to me, it has that just sort of big feeling. Yeah, I, I think his vocal performance in this song is, it's one of the reasons that I love the song so much. I think it's just so beautiful and gentle. And in a lot of the live versions, which, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about them later, but in a lot of the live versions, uh, he sings it so gently and, and with such... I don't know the energy of someone who is wandering and, and, you know, aimless and it's so beautiful. And I love, like you said, the way that the internal rhymes really stack up on top of each other, uh, especially in later verses, it sort of makes you, you know, you're waiting for that relief of boot heels to be wandering and uh, anywhere, you know, him sort of breaking that rhythm of like, Senses haven't stripped. My hands can't feel to grip. You know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I really love the the rhythm of of the verses. And yeah, his his vocal performance is so beautiful. And I think the that stretching out of the single words really are effective. It's nice. Yeah, I said he. I, you can almost sort of well, not almost. You can to me feel the warmth he has for the song you know, as he's singing it, like he's almost in love with like, wow, did I write this? You know, like, like yeah. this, is, this, is, this is something I wrote. Um, and then the song goes on. He says that you might hear laughing, spinning, swinging madly across the sun. It's not aimed at anyone. It's just escaping on the run. But for the sky, there are no fences facing. And if you hear vague traces of skipping wheels of rhyme to your tambourine in time, it's just a ragged clown behind. I wouldn't pay it any mind. It's just a shadow you're seeing that he's chasing. One of the alternate takes um, that he sings uh, on, uh, I think it's on one of the bootleg series, there's a, he throws in an extra line in that verse where he does the bit about, um, to your tambourine in time, it's just a ragged clown behind. He shoves another line in there, and if to you he looks blind, 
And then after that, you could tell he throws himself off. And he, the, all of a sudden, he's out of the melody with the lines. And you could hear it kind of, just, it, it, and it like stop starts. And you almost think the way he sings that line, and if to you he looks blind, you almost feel like he just made it up in his head and jammed it in there. And then he realizes, oh, wait, now I'm, now it's off. And so it doesn't work right. <laughs> so that line never made it into the final song. He just left it, left it behind, which is good because, again, it doesn't really fit um, to where to where he's going um and then the final um the final verse is of course the chorus but the final verse of lyrics he says then take me disappearing through the smoke rings of my mind down the foggy ruins of time far past the frozen leaves the haunted frightened trees out to the windy beach far from the twisted reach of crazy sorrow yes to dance beneath the diamond sky with one hand waving free silhouetted by the sea circled by the circus sands with all memory and fate driven deep beneath the waves. Let me forget about today until tomorrow. And again, it's like, that is, that is a lot to take in. Those are long lines with a lot of imagery going on. And it is, you know, you mentioned how you what you listened to blonde on blonde. And the first time you were like, hmm? and then you got it the second time. And you're like, Oh, wait a minute. And it's so much of Dylan's songs are un- unpackable like that, where you first time you hear it and you're like, what, what it was, what was all that just thrown at me? And then now you've gotten the context of it and you hear it the second time and you go, oh, all right, now I'm getting a handle on it. And to me, this is one of those songs because he's just jamming so much into it. Right, yeah. I think what's really great and interesting about this last, I mean, especially in context of what you were just saying about the previous take, which I hadn't heard before, is that this last verse has an extra line where I think most of them have... uh, sort of three lines that are all in the same rhythm. And then this one has, or two, I think. And then this one has three. It's almost like he added an extra line in there and this time <laughs> decided, decided to keep it. And I, whenever I listen to this, um, whenever I get to this verse, I'm always waiting for that, you know, that relief of far from the twisted reach of crazy sorrow where it sort of breaks the rhythm that has mm-hmm. been going on. And no, yeah, no matter how many times I hear it, it always sounds a little bit odd, but I really like that about it. I can't think it, it kind of get, gives it an interesting vibe and the rhymes in that verse are amazing and all the assonance in silhouetted by the sea, circled by the circus sands, I think is beautiful and amazing. I love it so much. The uh, I love the uh, dancing beneath the diamond sky with one hand waving free. It's, it's such a, again, it's such a beautiful image of, uh, you know the the being in communal being in in, in you know, being in a communal relationship again with your muse. Uh, mm-hmm. We've all anyone who's done something creative. Uh, there are times when you know you've really nailed it. You know you've really gotten what you were trying to achieve. And if it's it could be something as small as like a little doodle, or it could be something as grandiose as a song or a f- movie or whatever. But when you have that feeling of you're really nailing it to me that is what like one hand waving free is you know you're just like ah i did it i did (laughs) i did the thing i did the thing i wanted to do you know and and i've even experienced that watching something that i that i'm really enjoying uh you know or you're like it's you're where it's a song you're listening to and you're like wow this person is in full command of where they want to take me and that's fun to listen to or that's fun to watch uh, yeah, and, and sorry, go ahead. No, go right ahead. Yeah, I think it, it's funny because that's something that feeling is something that I experience a lot 
as I'm sure you do of listening to Bob in general of <laughs> knowing exactly uh, or him knowing exactly where he's taking you. And this song kind of makes me feel that way of um, that sort of blissful feeling that I think he's, he's talking about um, in this song of being so satisfied um, with your work or, or with something that you're experiencing that it's very freeing and um, beautiful. I think it, it's great. And yeah, like I've had times, you know, watching a film or something where I feel like, you know, the power of cinema, the spirit of cinema is possessing me. And this is just the reason that films exist. I kind of felt like that the first time I watched um, Don't Look Back is like, this is the reason that films are made so that, you know, we can make and watch things like this. And yeah, you're right. The the imagery in this really communicates that, I think. Yeah, I've uh, I've I've seen I'm a big film person and I've seen I don't know, millions of movies at this point. And once in a while, it doesn't happen much, but once in a while you will see a movie and you know when you're watching it, the people that made this are in full command of the story they're telling. And I have now relaxed and can just enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. And I may not know where it's going and I may not even necessarily like where it's going but I, I'm in good hands. And then you've seen lots of movies where you're like, these people had no idea what they were doing. Like, what is, where's this going? You know, <laughs> like, you know? Right. and to me, that is very relaxing to be able to, to sort of sit back and be like, and I, I mentioned this uh, a couple, bunch of episodes ago uh, when I got, when I first played rough and rowdy ways and I put it on and I was just laying on the, on the couch here in the studio and wasn't doing anything else. You know, I just had my eyes shut. And the minute, Key West started and I was like five seconds into Key West and I immediately said, Oh, this is, I, this is, this is already like a masterpiece of a song. I could tell, you know, and, <laughs> and I could relax a little cause it was like, okay, I already know I'm going to love this because I feel it. I feel it in my bones. And to me, again, that's, that's like the one hand waving free kind of thing. And again, it's the imagery that he puts into this. Um, it's just remarkable. And there, there's, this reminds me of another quote that I heard once about from Don was who uh, co-produced, under the red sky with Bob. And they talked about, he's given interviews talking about what it was like working on that record. And apparently at one point he had come up with an arrangement for one of the songs called born in time. And he thought it was really gorgeous and he played it for Bob and Bob just kind of went, like he just didn't have, and Don was, was like, this is good. No, you're good. Oh, okay. (laughs) And he realizes that Bob, at least in his interpretation, Bob doesn't like things to sound too pretty because he feels then it, it has like an agenda that's at odds with what he's trying to do. And the reason I bring that up is because of course, the most famous cover of this song is the birds version, um, which was a number one hit in America and the UK, which is hard, hard to do, uh, which means Bob made a fair amount of change off of this song. Good for him. But the birds version, and I'm not, I'm not going to besmirch it because it's a famous song to me is pretty, but a little empty because yes. it's so yes. pretty Bob's version. And maybe this is why, like, cause I love Bob so much it, that he's got that hard edge to his voice that even though the song is warm and friendly, that hard edge of his voice gives it a tension that the birds version just doesn't have. 
Yes, I, I'm glad that you said that because I was a little worried that you'd be like, wow, this is such a beautiful cover and I love it so much. Um, and I, like you said, I'm not, I don't think it's bad or anything, but I really, and maybe it's just because I know the original song so well, but whenever I, I hear it and the number of times that I listen to it when preparing for the show, um, I really miss those other verses. When That's the other thing. It's a, it's a very, it's a short version of the song. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know why because i mean i i think every verse kind of communicates similar things um in the song but something about just using that one verse kind of takes away a lot of the the weight to me and like you said it's very pretty i think it it, it fits into that 60s hangout psychedelic music really well um and i think because they chose that that verse with the uh smoke rings of my mind magic swirling chip and stuff i think they were sort of leaning into that interpretation of oh it's about drugs and it's mm -hmm. about like losing yourself and everything and that's fine i just think that it doesn't i don't know it doesn't feel the same to me like you said it's just too pretty and it's a little too melodic i think yeah, I mean, this song's been covered by everybody. It's one of Dylan's most covered songs. Judy Collins did it, Odetta did it, Stevie Wonder did it. I mean, probably literally hundreds of other musicians uh, have done it. I will say there was a, I don't know where I saw this clip because I thought it was in the No Direction Home documentary and I looked for it for this episode and I couldn't find it. So it must be somewhere else. Uh, I've, again, I've said on other episodes, I, you know, I don't play music. I have no idea. I don't know how to you know, write music, read music, play music. I'm just completely inept at that in, in any way. And I find anybody that can make a song to be alchemy. Like, I'm just, how do you do it? How do you know? I, you know, it's just to me, and people that have played, there have been people that have played music live here on the show. And I'm just like, it's amazing to me. And there's this great clip, great clip of Roger McGuinn talking about their cover of Mr. Tambourine Man. And he plays a couple of chords of Bob's version and he goes, see, what we did is we changed the time. And then he immediately does the birds version right then and there. And I was like, wow, that's amazing that the song is that malleable that just by yeah. changing the chord structure, it becomes something completely different. And I just, I, I'm just so impressed by that. And of course, Roger McGuinn, when he uh, was at the Bob Dylan 30th anniversary concert, that's what he sang. Uh, him and Tom Petty, the Heartbreakers did Mr. Tambourine Man because obviously it was the birds most famous song. In fact, the album is Mr. is named Mr. Tambourine Man. Oh, <laughs> wow. It's from the album, Mr. Tambourine. I mean, they really leaned into this part. Yeah. yeah. Um, I got to wonder what Bob was kind of like, oh my God, you guys are really taking this places. Um, <laughs> um, Live-wise, um, this, no, uh, you know, no surprise, one of Dylan's most uh, performed songs. He's played it 903 times so far. Not since 2010. Which that's a been it's been uh, dormant for an entire decade, which is pretty surprising. But there, of course, there are multiple multiple alternate versions. I'm going to talk about those. So, have you heard the one on uh, the At Budokan record? Uh, maybe not. I don't think so. I'm it's sorry. Got flute on it. It's it is. Oh, that's amazing. It is that's incredible. It, it is. I I have to, like it. You really do need to hear it. <laughs> okay. it yeah, is, I'll have to. I'm, I should have. I should. It have. is that album to me is a mixed bag at best and hearing <laughs> hearing this very it sounds like something you would hear at Renfair. like <laughs> to me it just has like that it's, it's just it's very very just this flute it, it may not be a flute again i know nothing about music but it sounds like somebody like do do do, do mr tambourine play a song do 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 and you're just like 
what is this? What, what is this version of Mr. Tambourine Man? That's, yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, it sort of reminds me of like, I saw some interpretation online of it being like, you know, like a Pied Piper. Yes, sort that's of exactly, yes. Yeah, and yes. it reminds me of that, of like, okay, I'll, I'll do that then and just bring a flute in there. That is exactly, I couldn't think of the phrase, Pied Piper. It is, to, you, you really could imagine somebody with like, the, the, the shoes with the bells on the ends of them yeah. and stuff like this. Yeah. <laughs> this is very straight version. Um, and of course, but, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, that's funny because maybe I just haven't listened to enough versions or, and maybe I also just don't know. I also have know nothing about music, but it's funny because this is one of the songs that he's performed it so many times, but all of the live versions that I've listened to, he doesn't change it that much in its composition. Um, you know, he adds harmonica a lot, which I really love whenever he does harmonica with it. And um, he'll do it a little bit faster or something, but he never seems to change the lyrics, at least that I can recall. And he doesn't change it all that much. Not like we've heard him do other songs. So I thought that was really interesting. He might, he must just be really happy with how the final version, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's performed this, uh, there are live versions on the bootleg volume four, bootleg series volume four, the live 1966 set there. He performs it at the live 1975 set, the live 1964 set, but you're right. He always does it um, pretty much acoustically and it kind of does sound like what it sounds like for, for a, for such a lyrically dense song. He doesn't change it uh, a lot. He, as you said, he must be relatively, I don't know, maybe changing the lyrics on other songs doesn't mean that he's unhappy with the version that he had. It might just be that he just feels like, oh, I can play with this. But obviously for this song, um, and and it's almost always performed acoustically. Uh, right. There's like, he didn't, he didn't perform it uh, at the 1974 tour with the band where they were doing these sort of rocked up versions. Um, there might be, I can't think of it. There might be one out there, but I don't, he generally doesn't turn this into a rock out song it's almost always an acoustic thing and, and, or at the very least it just has that same sound. So yeah, that's a, that's a good point that this song pretty much, despite it being almost 60 years old, he doesn't mess with it again. That's a kind of kind of pejorative sound to it, messing with it, but he doesn't change it very much over time. And maybe again, as you said, maybe he feels like this is the, this is, I like this one. I still like this one. I still get something out of playing it. Um, This was played at a weird data point about the song. This was played at Hunter S. Thompson's funeral. Um, yes, I read that. Yeah. And you know what I, knowing what I know of Hunter S. Thompson, this seems a little too genteel for Hunter S. Thompson. Right. <laughs> I think this would not yeah. be the song, but okay, you know, it was played at Hunter S. Thompson's funeral. That's okay, great. It's a very you know nice tribute. That's a song you would want to played at your funeral. But yeah, it's um, it's a song that obviously strikes a chord uh, with people. Um, with people who don't even necessarily like Bob Dylan. I'm sure they know the Birds version. But it's, again, the idea of this character, and like we talked about, you know, mostly probably a muse, but but it's a thing that someone is striving to do or striving to connect, striving to achieve something, and everyone can relate to that. So it just has that kind of universal appeal to it. And I will say... Uh, I listen to uh, Sirius uh, XM quite a bit. And one of the channels we listen to is the Spectrum, which is kind of mi- a mix of new and old. They play like three Bob Dylan songs. That's it. You know, they, they play the same three. Knocking on Heaven's Door, Like a Rolling Stone, Once in a While Tangled Up in Blue, Hurricane. And then once in a blue moon, they'll play this one. And okay. that's it. 
that is it. You hear nothing else from Bob Dylan. And so obviously, again, it's the kind of song that it resonates with a lot of people. And I'm glad that they played the Dylan version because again, it's, you know, it's the original, it's the original inspiration. Yeah. I think it, it's funny because that this song is so one of his most popular, I mean, it's not surprising cause it's a, it's a great song, but um, yeah, it just, I don't know, maybe it's the lyrics or something, but like how gentle it is. And it's not terribly complicated. I don't think at least in its musical composition more so in its um, lyrics, but Sometimes I wonder, you know, like why this particular song, but I think you're right that um, it can strike a chord with everyone and um, maybe in, in different ways and, and for different reasons. And something something I heard that I noticed is just sort of random, but in the, I think 1975 live version, the one that's in Rolling Thunder, just like a quick, I would like to point out at the end, he says, thank you. Uh, after he finishes it and he never does that like, <laughs> I just wrote down since when Bob um, because he never does that and uh, I really love um, I think the Royal Festival and I'm not sure what what year it was I think 1966 66, 66 yeah. yeah yeah the the harmonica solo in the beginning of that one has incredible control and just I, I love when he adds the harmonica in the song because it's so um, I don't know it goes with the song really well and I'm surprised that he didn't do it on the album version but um, it's funny because it is one of his more popular songs and he's very much known for the harmonica and he does not use it in the song. It's yeah when uh, he doesn't he hasn't uh, been he, he's been pulling out the harmonica every so often live wise and you'll if you get to see him live you'll see the, the way the Bob fans react people just go nuts. Yeah, because yeah. they're just so happy. They're like, oh, he's pulling out his harmonica. You know, he's just like, oh, okay, this is awesome. He's got the, you know, you you want to see him just kind of like play everything, play the guitar, play the keyboard. He pulls out the harmonica. People just go go nuts for it. But yeah, <laughs> it, it's this is a song that again it 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 transcends what people might think about Bob Dylan. You know, they might because again, I think they think he's like kind of like a the average person probably doesn't know him. I think he's like maybe like a downer, you know, yeah. and they hear this song and it's kind of bright and upbeat. And again, it's, it's about, you know, and again, to most people, to me, there is no one about, of course, to any Bob Dylan song, but the idea is it's, you know, striving for something and tr- trying to achieve communication with this, uh, a spirit. I mean, there could be, you know, uh, I mean, Bob Dylan has said that uh, his religion is songs now. He says, I, I believe the songs. And I mean, this, you know, then it turns Mr. Tambourine Man into like a religious figure. And so if you want to layer that on top of it, you can do it. Uh, it's endlessly interpretable, um, no matter what your you know, walk of life is, no matter what age you are, which is, which is you know, we got a proof right here that you discovered Bob Dylan relatively recently in life. And yet this song struck a deep chord with you, even though it's, again, it was written in 1964 for Pete Yeah. Yeah, and that's such a good point about it does very much give that um, vibe of music or like we've been talking about a muse as an almost like raising that to a a level of a deity or a religious figure. Um, And I think, you know, more than many other songs, this song really communicates that mindset of him saying, you know, I believe in the music. yeah, it's yeah. I don't. I just thought about that. Sorry, I, that's, <laughs> I'm, that's kind of just like processing to me right now. But um, yeah, I yeah. It's just 
the I think the way that he treats music in general is very evident in this song and treats not just music but like art but art in general um about its healing power about you know he's he's talking about how the his weariness amazes him you know he's so tired that um he could collapse from it but um Mr. Tambourine Man the the music the inspiration is what sort of keeps him going what allows him to keep following and um yeah I don't know uh maybe uh yeah keep going when when you're out of energy to keep persisting when it seems like you can't really go any further I don't know no yeah totally it's 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 I mean, I'm sure Bob uh, at times in his life has hit that wall songwriting wise, you know, and then he discovers some new form and then it's all, and then the one hand is waving free again, uh, you know? And so, uh, it, and there are very few things uh, and to me, at least in life, as satisfying as when you're creating something and you, as I said earlier, you really feel like you've nailed it. That is an incredibly satisfying thing. And it's, it's a feeling like kind of no other. And uh, you know, I'm, for someone who, probably anthropomorphizes the muse the way he does. You know, the muse has been good to Bob. He's <laughs> a lot of, a lot of, a lot of musicians don't write anything interesting anymore or anything at all past a certain point. But Bob has been doing this for 60, 60 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, you know, he's probably very respectful of his muse because the muse has been good to him. There's no doubt about it. Right. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of that. Um, the 60 minutes interview when, uh, they ask him, I think it's 60 minutes interview yeah. where they ask him how, you know, are you ever amazed by, you know, do you ever look back and you're amazed by what you've done or what you've written? And he was like, yeah, I used to feel that way. And, um, I don't know, like, how does someone write stuff like that? And I'm like, <laughs> you tell me, Bob, you're the one who wrote it. Um, but it's funny. Cause like this song also, I, I feel like captures that a little bit of, um, almost like a possession when you Mm -hmm. get in a a state of, of creativity and um, just sort of not in a, in a bad way, but blindly following that without questioning sort of in the way that, you know, he personifies, you know, the Mr. Tambourine man is the thing that he'll, he'll follow down that path. I don't know. It reminds me of that. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. This is, it can, it, I, I said I, I spent many a nights staying up very late working on something and, and uh, you know, normally I would think I'd be tired, but you're and, you know, but you, you got that energy, you know, and you're just like, no, this thing is working. And uh, all of a sudden you're not tired at all because your creative juices are flowing. It's a remarkable feeling. Yeah, the line of, um, you know, he says, I'm not sleepy. But um, in the first verse, he says he's sort of expressing that it almost seems like he's tired he says i'm not sleepy but there's no place i'm going to and um the evening's empire has returned into sand i love that line so much Mm. um great visuals again but um he said you know he still says my weariness amazes me i'm branded on my feet but at the same time um he's not ready to to stop he's not ready to stop following and um and going wherever he's he's headed you know and this song also is one of, you've talked about a couple of times, it's one of those songs to me that almost sounds like um, it could take place at any time, at any location. It, oh, totally, yeah. Whenever I think of this song, I don't know why, but I think of a sort of like a, almost like a vagrant or a, um, 
you know, some sort of traveler just walking through the streets of some like 16th century uh, Italian city and <laughs> finding a place to rest. I don't know why, but it, it has that sound to me and almost like he's sitting by a fire with, you know, beans boiling over it or something. And I, it's just, yeah, it, it's very timeless in that way to me. Yeah, his songs. So many of his songs are just. They, yeah, they're just like this. Could be the. This could be last year. Or this could be the 1600s. You don't know. I mean, he says the ancient empty empty streets, mm-hmm. uh, and again, he paints such a remarkable visual of. I think a lot of Bob's uh, best songwriting, I would bet, comes in the middle of the night when norm most people are. I was about to say normal when most people <laughs> are asleep. He's out working. Um, and uh, I remember reading in one book. Uh, the recording, the recording hours for when he did the O Mercy record, and like he was cutting songs at like four in the morning, you know. And you like, like imagine the band is like, can we just do this during the day, like normal people? No, no, no. That's you know when the in, when the inspiration strikes, it strikes, and you got You got to get it down. Exactly. So um, yeah, I said it's obviously it's one of it, it is one of the big songs that uh, Dylan's legend rests upon. Uh, it's just one of the one of the probably 10 songs that he'll be most remembered for and throughout the history book. So, so Melissa, um, as we're wrapping up here, you know, I have to ask you this question. I've been asking everybody. So, you know, Bob, we now know Bob is coming back to touring. Uh, thankfully, um, I hope he's checking vaccination cards for everybody, but he's going back to touring and, uh, he finds out that you are going to a concert for the first time. You grab, you grabbed your dad and you're going and he somehow gets in contact with you. And he asks you, all right, Melissa, what song would you want to open my con? What concert, what song do you want to open? Should I open the song with? What, what do you want to hear, Melissa? Okay. Yeah. I thought a lot about this. I knew this question <laughs> was coming. And I would be driving in my car and flipping through all my Bob songs and being like, this one, no, this one, no. And I think I've landed on, I threw it all away from Nashville Skyline. Because I know it's an unconventional pick, but um, I think it could be really pretty in his current style that we've uh, heard in Shadow Kingdom. Just, it's already a slower song. And I mean, he has such a different vocal quality on that album, as everyone knows. But um, just like in the way that he's been singing it lately and the arrangements that he's had, I think that one could be really nice. And I would love to hear it. Right. That's a great answer. Again, there are no bad answers, but that's a great answer. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever heard him do that ever. I don't yeah, think the only I, version I ever know is the one off the record. So that'd be really cool. Yeah, I would honestly, he, I would love to hear anything off of Nashville Skyline. It's not even one of my favorite albums, but um, I feel like he doesn't do it a lot. And, you know, he doesn't um, use that voice anymore. So <laughs> I would love to hear anything from there. That would be amazing if all of a sudden he could drop that voice out of nowhere. Knowing oh my God. what his voice sounds like now, and then all of a sudden he's like, la, la, la. You're like, oh, my <laughs> God, he can do it whenever he wants. That would be amazing. Well, that, that's a marvelous answer. So, well, Melissa, thank you so much for reaching out. Thank you so much for, for being bold. I very much appreciate it. I think that's great. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for doing this. I very much appreciate it. Thank you so much. I think I appreciate it more. It's been very fun. And it's been crazy <laughs> hearing your voice speaking to me instead of, speaking through my speakers <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet um you can find me at alpine bagel on twitter uh that's pretty much the only place don't have a professional website but go ahead and follow me on twitter i will talk about bob 
I am the one dresses him in the don't look back music video. Thank you. Okay. I do have to ask you something about your, your, your Twitter handle because in your bio, it says Al Pacino fan club president. Now, how excited were you uh, on rough and rowdy ways where he, Bob mentions Al Pacino in a song. It's everything you like in one spot. Extremely. Oh my God. I can't tell you. I was very, very happy. That was a highlight of 2020 for sure. (laughs) Considering the rest of the year, that's definitely a highlight. There you go. Well, that's great. Before we sign off, favorite Al Pacino movie? Just curious. Dog Day Afternoon. Good. Great answer. Yeah. Great answer. All right. I also... Uh, I would like to shout out Cruising, which is very unconventional. It's not a great movie, but I'm like obsessed with that movie in many ways. I think it's great. I, you gotta, have you reached out to William Friedkin? I think you, he'd probably love the fact that you like that movie because yeah. people do. <laughs> no, he would, he would, he might be angry with me for liking that movie, but I would, I, I'm a staunch defender of it. I could, <laughs> I have literally written paragraphs about why it's good. So. Oh, this is okay. We're we're wrapping up the show and we're way <laughs> off base, but we're way off the beam here. But I have to ask you because you mentioned cruising, uh, and anyway, any of you out there who don't know what that movie is, go look it up. It's amazing. Uh, have you? Oh my god! Have you seen the YouTube video of the fake toy commercial for the cruising line of toys? No. What? Wait, there I have is, to look that up right now. There is a YouTube video, and someone made a commercial as if cruising inspired a line of toys for children. Oh my God. It is one of the funniest things you will ever see. So go check that out. I'm glad I could share that with you. You didn't know that that existed. It is so, I saw it 10 years ago and I I fell out of my chair. I laughed so hard. Oh, that's so exciting. the most inappropriate thing imaginable and that someone loved cruising enough to make this fake commercial. So- Go check oh it out. Oh, my God. Yeah, I definitely, definitely will. That sounds incredible. All right. So yeah, so uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to Al Pacino Minute. We appreciate that. Um, <laughs> of you. course, you can find back episodes of this show on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Pod Dylan on any podcatcher of your choice. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. There you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, Sebastian Krogh, George Doherty, and Joaquin Meckel for the support of Pod Dylan. I very much appreciate it. That is going to do it. Thanks, everybody, listening. We will see you later. Bye. A lot of my songs, they were becoming hits for other people. There was uh, The Birds had a big hit. Some group called The Turtles had some hit. Uh, Sonny and Cher were, were, uh, uh, had a hit with a song of mine. People were sort of writing a jingly jangly kind of song, which they seemed to have something to do with me. I, you know, like, uh, okay. Uh, you know, I got me, baby, some kind of takeoff of me, you know, on something I wrote. Well, I don't know what it was a takeoff on that I wrote, you know. Like, I, I didn't really like that that sound, you know, or the folk rock, whatever that was. I didn't feel it had anything to do with me. It got me thinking about the Billboard charts and the songs which become popular, which I hadn't thought of that before. <laughs>